Well, I don't know about y'all, but these Sunday night services sure have been a treat to be attending, and uh, I'm, I've been really enjoying the series on the Hall of Faith, the Heroes of the Faith, and so tonight uh, I have the privilege of preaching uh, a sermon on one of the most important people in all of Scripture, and you know he's really important because his picture is the very first one here on the wall. Uh, that might have to do with the way, it, the order it is in, in the text, but you know, he is first. So tonight we are going to be looking at Noah, and if you have your Bibles tonight, you can open to Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 6. Those are the two main texts we'll be looking at tonight. Uh, specifically in the seventh verse of Hebrews chapter 11. And so Noah's story is one that we're probably all very familiar with. Um, If you've been a Christian for longer than a month, you probably have heard the story of Noah. Even if you aren't a Christian, I imagine if you just walk the streets of America and ask people if they could tell you generally the story of Noah's ark, I think most people would be able to tell you the story. Um, It's a very familiar story. The last two weeks we looked at Abel and Enoch, some that may be unfamiliar to most of us, but tonight we're looking at a very familiar man in the Bible. His story is one of the most popular in kids' Sunday school classes. Um, We have quite a bit of kids in here tonight. I'm sure that Noah is one of their favorite Bible stories. Many songs about Noah, children's songs, have been written. Let's see if uh, maybe y'all know this tonight. If I say, who built the ark? Okay. So two of y'all have heard that song before, but trust me, it is kind of popular. Um, But the story of Noah is so much more than what's portrayed. It's so much more than just an old man with a white beard sticking his head out of a a boat with some giraffes on the outside going on a year-long cruise, which is what most children's stories and pictures show you. What we're going to be looking at tonight is the faith of Noah. Noah was a man of extreme faith. Noah was a man who believed the unbelievable and was used to save the human race. And so we're going to be, I'm not going to be telling the whole story of Noah tonight because I trust that it's one that we're familiar with. But what I am going to be looking at tonight is Noah's faith because that's what this series is all about. What we're doing in this series is we're looking at these men of faith to hopefully challenge you and to hopefully inspire you, to hopefully lead you to a greater walk of faith in your own life. And so my hope tonight is that we'll learn from and be challenged by the faith of Noah. And so I know we've been standing and sitting and standing and sitting, but let's go ahead and stand again. Um, I'd like for us to stand as we read our main text tonight, which is Hebrews 11, verse 7. And it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, 
In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that over these next few minutes, as I teach on the example of Noah, Lord, that you would stir in all of our hearts a sense of of a greater faith, Lord, a sense of, of genuine faith as we look at this text. Lord, I pray right now that you would just soften the hearts of all of us that are in here tonight that we could receive from your word, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. In the book of James, in the second chapter of James, chapter 2, starting in verse 14, James says this about faith. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And then in verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Then finally in verse 26, James says, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James here is saying that true faith, a sincere faith, a faith that is real, will always have actions to back it up. There there should be works that you can point to in your life that prove your faith. And I bring up this passage in James because Noah is someone that was a perfect example of a working faith. Noah's faith was put into work. Two weeks ago with Abel, we saw the worship of faith. Last week with Enoch, we saw the walk of faith. And tonight with Noah, we're going to look at the work of faith. James says that faith without works is dead. And so we can turn that around and we can say that faith with works is alive. Faith with works is a faith that is alive. And Noah had a working faith. Noah's faith led to action. Noah had a real faith and a faith that was genuine. And so what we're going to look at tonight is this genuine faith that Noah had. And so if you were to give this sermon a title, if you're taking notes at the top, you can write genuine faith. Because what I want to do tonight is look at three things that we can see from this text in Hebrews 11.7 that shows us the genuine faith that Noah had. And I believe that it's also something, these three things that we can look at our own lives to gauge to see if our faith is genuine as well. And so the first thing that we see in this text, we see that genuine faith is a faith that obeys the word of God. Genuine faith obeys the word of God. Going back to our text, it says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So what I'd like to do here is take a few minutes to go to Genesis chapter 6 to 
kind of set the stage of where we're at in the story of Noah to look at what the world was like at the time when God gave Noah this command to look at what exactly it was that he was obeying that was being asked of him. And so Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So there's an act of perversion here where these men that are called the sons of God are taking women freely, solely based on their appearance. Now there's a lot of discussion, a lot of thoughts on who these sons of God were. Really the two leading thoughts is that they were either fallen angels or that they were children in the line, the godly line of Seth, and that the, son, the daughters of women, daughters of men were the line of Cain. Wherever you fall on that, whatever you choose to believe, what's important here in this, these first three verses is that this perversion that was taking place is so vile that God gives the world a doomsday countdown. He says, in 120 years from now, the world is going to be wiped out. I'm giving humanity 120 years, and then their days will be no more. And then in verses 5 through 7, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So verse 5 here paints an extremely dark picture of where the world was at at the time of Noah. It says, every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine what this would look like? I mean, we live in a culture today where you might say, well, that, that's our culture today. But the, the latest study on Christianity in the world shows that 31% of the entire world claims some form of Christianity. So that's over 2 billion people in the world that are professing Christ, and yet we see the world in the state that it's in today. Now imagine 0% of the world trusting and believing in God. And you, you can only begin to imagine the evil and the perversion and the wickedness and the violence that would be taking place constantly. And so the Lord is, is done. He's going to bring His justice upon the whole world. But then we come to verse 8 of chapter 6, and it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the King James, that word favor is actually grace. That Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then verse 9 goes on to tell us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and that Noah walked with God. And so there was one man out of the whole world that was walking with God at the time. And then picking up in verse 13, now we, we start to see the, the command that God gives Noah. And he says, it says, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. So God tells Noah, I'm going to wipe out the whole world. I'm going to bring destruction upon the entire world. Then he goes on to tell Noah how he's supposed to build the ark. He actually gives him the exact dimensions. Tells him what kind of wood to use. And then verse 17 it says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. So God said he's going to wipe out the entire world, but he is establishing a covenant with Noah. This takes us back to Genesis 3.15. We know that God wasn't going to completely wipe out the earth because he made a promise to Satan, actually, saying that Adam's offspring would end up crushing the head of Satan. So in this passage here, we see that God is pouring out his grace on one man so he can be faithful to that promise that he made to preserve humanity because there is going to come a man, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, at some point, who's going to crush the head of Satan. So he preserves the life of Noah. And then moving on to verse 22. Well, first, he, then he goes on to say, you've got to gather two of every kind of animal. You've got to put them in this boat. And then you've got to find food for every kind of animal and food for yourself. And you've got to store that and put that all together. So this is quite an ask that God is asking Noah. And then verse 22 of chapter 6, it's just so amazing. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah obeyed all that God commanded him. That is genuine faith right there. That is a real Faith. As far as we know, Noah didn't live near an ocean. Many people believe that it was at least 100 miles from where he lived, where there was any body of water. We're also told in our passage in Hebrews that God warned Noah about things that had not yet been seen. So more than likely, Noah had never even seen a type of flood that God was talking about here. Surely he had never seen a flood that would wipe out the entire world. What God is asking Noah to do here takes nothing less than a monumental, monumental amount of faith. And Noah says yes to all of it. It says that he obeyed all that God commanded him. And, and this just blows me away, you know, because 
Noah didn't have, he didn't have this to look at and say, okay, God's asking me to do something pretty drastic here. Let me build my faith up a little bit. Let me go to the story of Abraham and see how God provided a son for him. Let me, let me read the story of Isaac and see how God provided a ram for him when Abraham was showing faith. Let's look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to see how God came through for them when they were walking out their faith. Or let's go to the story of Esther and look and see how God delivered the people of Israel in that instance. Noah didn't have that to go by. All he had was the audible word of God. This challenges me because we have the word of God. We have all of these stories to go back. We have the promises of God to stand on. But yet so many times we can be derailed by the smallest things. We can begin to worry. We can begin to doubt. We can begin to be filled with anxiety over the smallest things. But Noah had none of that. Noah said, yes, Lord, I'm here. Sign me up. I'll do it. And again, Noah had more than likely had never seen a large boat before. He, the likes of what God is asking him to do, he, he couldn't even picture it. He had never even seen it. You know, for us now, we, we've seen examples of the ark. You can actually go to, to Kentucky and see an exhibit that has a life-size reconstruction of the ark with all of the rooms in the ark, and you can walk through it and, and get a full picture of what that looked like. Noah didn't have any of that. Noah couldn't picture what God was asking him to do. He, he had never seen anything like this before, but he still obeyed all that God commanded him. And from this point on until the very first drop of rain, every single moment of Noah's life was an act of faith. Every time he walked out the door and went to a forest to chop down some trees, that was an act of faith. He was trusting in the Word of God that God was going to do what He said He was going to do. Every time He put a hammer to a nail to put the boat together was an act of faith. Anytime His family went out to gather the food or to, to plant the food that was needed, to plant the seed, that in itself was an act of faith. Every moment of Noah's life from when God asked him to build the boat until the rain came was an act of faith. Noah's genuine faith led to direct obedience to the Word of God. He didn't question the Word of God. He didn't doubt the Word of God. We actually see later on it with Moses when God asks Moses to do something. Moses' first thought was really to doubt what God was asking him to do. Moses said, God, you've seen the tape to my speech class. It didn't go so well. But yeah, you're asking me to go and speak to the king of Egypt? Noah, I mean, Moses, he had a moment of humanity like all of us would probably have of doubting God's word at first. But Noah didn't have any of that. Noah's faith was real and genuine. Noah didn't, he didn't say, yeah, God, I know this is one way that an ark could be built. I know you're saying to build it this way, but that's just one way. I, I'm going to... I'm going to consult some of my friends who have, you know, they've built some things before. My friend down the street built a raft and he took it to the ocean and it held up pretty good. I'm going to see if, I'm going to measure his schematics and see if they're any good compared to yours. He didn't do any of that. He trusted God's word completely 
for what it said. And in the same way, that should be how our faith is, that we completely trust what this book says. That we don't question it. That we don't say, yeah, this is one way to live our life. This is one suggestion. But I'm going to seek out some other ways. But if we have a genuine faith, we have to trust that this is the Word of God. This isn't just a self-help book. This isn't just a random collection of 40 authors that put some letters and books together to make our life better. No, from cover to cover, every page, every sentence, every word in this book is the Word of God. And if we are to have a genuine faith, we must believe in this book. And when you truly believe that, it will lead to obedience. When you truly believe that this is the Word of God, this is God's living Word speaking to us, it will lead to obedience. When you don't believe it, it will lead to ruin. And we're seeing that in, in our culture today, and it's nothing new. When people turn their back and doubt the Word of God, when people look at this book as just a... a a book to show you some ways to live a good life and not as the authoritative Word of God, their lives begin to crumble. And so Noah had a faith in the Word of God and the direct result to that faith was complete obedience. And so that's the first thing about genuine faith is that genuine faith obeys the Word of God. The second point I want to look at tonight from this passage that we can see about genuine faith is that genuine faith makes you a witness. Genuine faith makes you a witness. And so again, going back to our text in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God, concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, by constructing the ark, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By this, he condemned the world. Every day that Noah was working on the ark, he was proclaiming to the world that the judgment of God was coming. Every single day he was putting this boat together. He was telling them, judgment is coming. It was a constant reminder to the world around him of what was coming, but unfortunately, they didn't believe his witness. The world was fully deserving of the judgment of God. They were fully deserving of what was coming towards them. And every day they would see the ark being built and they would continue to walk in the hardness of their hearts. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness. In the King James Version, that word herald is preacher. So Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah's genuine faith led to him being a witness. Now, many theologians think that God came to Noah right after he gave that 120-year countdown. So a lot of people think he was building the ark for up to 120 years. I'm, I'm a little bit more conservative. I tend to think he was around 60 to 70 years. But however long it took, you can imagine the slander that he received for building this boat. This was a wicked 
people that he was building this boat. They had no belief in God. And for him to say for however long it was that judgment is coming, God is going to send a flood to wipe out all of humanity. And if you want to be saved, you've got to get in this boat. The Bible doesn't mention any of this, but I imagine there was some opposition to him building the boat. Perhaps some days he would wake up and some wood was missing. But that didn't stop him. That didn't deter him. He didn't stop witnessing. He didn't stop building just because he wasn't seeing any fruit. And how many of you, if you can be honest, have ever thought to yourself, if, if I witness to this person, what are they going to think about me? If, if, if I tell them about Jesus, if I invite them to church, and if they don't come, the next time I see them, things might be a little bit awkward. Have y'all, is it just me that's thought this? Have any of y'all ever thought that before? Well, thank God Noah wasn't concerned about that. Thank God Noah didn't take that approach. Lord, what, what are they going to think about me when I'm building this massive boat that's nowhere near water and I'm telling them that some invisible being from the sky is going to completely flood the earth? Noah wasn't concerned about any of that. Noah's concern was about obeying God. Noah saw zero fruit from his witness. Nobody believed him. He had a 0% conversion rate with his preaching. But that didn't stop him from daily going out there and doing what God had called him to do. And likewise, you might have a family member, you might have a co-worker, you might have a best friend of yours that you've been witnessing to, that you've been trying to come to church, that you've been praying for, that you've been sharing the gospel with, and maybe you're not seeing the fruit. You're not seeing the, the, the payoff or the investment that you're putting in. I want to remind you that the results aren't up to you. Noah didn't have to produce the flood. He just had to obey what God was asking him to do. And then the same way, we just need to be faithful to what God is asking us to do. And so that's why genuine faith, first it leads to obedience, but then that obedience leads to us being a witness. We cannot completely obey the Word of God without being a witness for Christ. Jesus says, this is a very familiar verse for all of us in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These words of Jesus, this is the Word of God. And so if we're to be someone of genuine faith who obeys the Word of God, it will make us a witness because we'll obey the words of Jesus which are commanding us to be a witness. So Noah had the faith to believe the Word and that faith led to him obeying the Word which led to him being a witness. So the first attribute of Genuine faith is that it obeys the Word of God. The second attribute that we can see from this text is that a person of genuine faith will be a witness. So that brings us to the third and final attribute we'll see in this passage. 
And that is that genuine faith will lead to righteousness. Genuine faith will lead to righteousness. I'll read the text one last time. I only had one verse to cover, so I figured I'll just read it as many times as I can tonight. But it says, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Righteousness only comes by faith. We cannot obtain righteousness apart from faith. Noah wasn't counted righteous because he put a boat together. That's not what made Noah righteous. Noah wasn't counted as righteous because he witnessed. Noah was counted as righteous because he believed the Word of God and he obeyed the Word of God. We cannot produce righteousness without faith. In ourselves, our righteousness is nothing. In fact, well, it is something. Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Another translation says that our righteousness is a polluted garment. And I don't know if, if those of you who have had kids before and have changed a baby's blowout, you know what filthy rags are like and you know what a polluted garment is like. This is what the prophet Isaiah says our righteousness is apart from God. It's a dirty, exploded diaper. It's running down the baby's leg. Um, I'm, just, I'm just getting into that these days with Davy, and it's very exciting. But this, this is what our righteousness is in ourselves. This is what our righteousness is apart from faith in God. All of our efforts to be righteous will fall short. There's nothing that we can do in ourselves that can make us righteous before a holy God other than accepting the free grace that's been offered to us and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the glory of the Gospel. This is why the Gospel is good news because the Gospel is that God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So going back to Genesis chapter 6, in verse 8 and 9, again, I'll, I'll read this. It says, But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, I don't think the order of these two verses is an accident. I think this is here for a reason to show us that Noah was given grace before he was righteous. You know, a lot of times we, we think of Noah and we think, oh, how great a man he was. How righteous was he? It was so great that out of the whole world, he was the only one that was righteous. But the Bible tells us that God poured out grace to Noah and it tells us that before it tells us that he was righteous. Just an interesting side note, Noah's the first man in the Bible to be called righteous. So I think there's something that we can learn here that 
God found favor, God found grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord before he was called a righteous man. So with all of that in mind, with all of that being said, I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8, this is another familiar verse that we know, but in the context of what we're talking about tonight, I'd like to look at it. And it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we see here that our, our faith that we have, even the faith that we have, that in itself is a gift from God. We, we can't do anything in ourselves to muster up a faith to believe in God. That has to be a gift. And then going along with, with what Pastor Matt talked about this morning, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our faith will produce good works. That's what James was talking about. That's what Pastor Matt was talking about today, that we, we have to work out our salvation. There should be some works that we can point to in our lives that show that our faith is real, that our faith is genuine. And so God poured out His grace to Noah which produced a genuine faith which led to righteousness. I'll say that again because I think it's worth repeating. God poured out His grace to Noah, which produced a genuine faith which led to righteousness. And all of this was a gift from God. And the same is true for me and you tonight. We're righteous only because of the gift that has been given to us. The gift of faith that has been given to us from God. That's it. That's the only reason we're righteous. This, this verse in Ephesians 2.8 was huge for me uh, in my walk with God. I grew up thinking I was a great kid, a very righteous kid, because I went to church multiple times a week, I didn't smoke, I didn't cuss, I didn't drink. I wasn't promiscuous. So I thought I was I thought I was a righteous person. But thank God this verse here knocked me off my horse that the faith that I have being righteous it's nothing in my own doing. It's only because of the faith that God has given to me. And this is, this is good news. If it were up to us to produce our own righteousness, we would fail every single time. And we'd be lost in our sin with the judgment of God coming, similar to how the judgment of God was coming with the people in the day of Noah who refused to get in the boat. But also like Noah's day, we too have an ark that will deliver us from judgment. And our ark is much better than the original ark because our ark is Jesus Christ. 
Noah's ark saved him from the wrath of God, but it still delivered him to a broken world. When the ark rested on Mount Ararat, and the waters subsided and the land was dry, he was still in a fallen world. He was still in a broken world. It was a physical salvation that the ark brought him. And we see that in the account of Genesis in chapter 9, shortly after God, shortly after God delivers them and the rain, He promises the rainbow and He gives them a covenant that He'll never flood the land again, Noah establishes a winery and gets drunk off of his own wine and passes out naked because the world that they were delivered to was still a broken world. But that's what makes our ark different. Our Savior is an eternal Savior. We're not saved from... A physical flood, we're saved from an eternal flood. And our ark is going to deliver us once and for all to glory, where there will be no more sin, there will be no more drunkenness. And when our ark, when Jesus delivers us to heaven, there will be no passing out drunk. There will be no more pain, no more sadness, no more fear, no more doubt, no more shame. No more bad doctor's reports. And this is what it means to be an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so in closing tonight, I want to ask you, where is your faith? I want to ask you, is is your faith genuine? Do, Do you have a real faith? Do you obey the Word of God no matter what? No matter the cost? No matter what this book says, are you willing to say, yes, I will obey all of it 100% because it is the Word of God? Are you a faithful witness for Jesus Christ? Or do you fall into the, the category that many of us have fallen into where we would like to profess that we're not ashamed of the gospel, but when the time comes to actually put that faith into action, we tend to think of every excuse of why we shouldn't witness to this person or why, why this isn't the best time. Are you a faithful witness for Jesus Christ? And ultimately, I would ask, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and received His righteousness? And if you're struggling in any of these three, if you're having a hard time obeying the Word of God completely, if, if the lies of culture have started to creep in in your life or in your family's life that would say, yes, this is one way, but this is an old, outdated book, so some of the letters, some of the things Paul says really isn't for our time. I don't have to obey everything this says. Or maybe you're having a hard time witnessing, or maybe you're even at the, the place at the very beginning where you haven't put your faith in Christ. If that's you in any of those three categories, I would ask you to pray. Pray that God would give you a genuine faith. Because as Paul said in Ephesians, it's a gift. Pray that God would give you that gift of faith, that God would strengthen your faith. If if you already believe that God's Word is the Word of God. Pray for a resolve that would continue to stand on the Word of God no matter what.
Pray that he would give you a faith that would make you a bold witness, regardless of how uncomfortable a conversation might be. That you would be like Noah and say, judgment is coming. Whether you believe or not, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to let you know that judgment is coming, and I'm going to leave the results up to God. Pray for that kind of boldness. And more than anything, pray that God would give you a saving faith. Amen? So again, just to to recap, this is what we see in the life of genuine faith, that genuine faith obeys the Word of God, genuine faith makes you a witness, and genuine faith leads to righteousness. And we see this in the life of Noah, and I pray that we will see that in the lives of every member here at Destiny Church. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the life of Noah, the example we have of faith in his life, a faith to say, I will obey you no matter what the cost. I will obey you no matter how unpopular it makes me. I will obey your word no matter what people say about me, no matter what people think about me because of my faith in you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith tonight. God, give us a resolve to trust in your word over our circumstances, over what we see, even over what we feel. Lord, that we would trust your word, that we would obey your word. And God, that in the obedience to your word of God, that that would make us faithful witnesses, bold witnesses, unashamed witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can't help ourselves but be compelled to go out there and warn people that judgment is coming. That if they're not in the boat, they will die in their sins. And ultimately, God, I pray that you would give all of us a genuine saving faith that leads to righteousness that we could walk out a victorious Christian life that works out our faith, that works out our salvation, that we would daily walk in a life of sanctification. Not so that people can look at us and say, wow, that's a righteous person, that's, but so that people will look at us and see that we are glorifying you and that you would be glorified through the way that we live our lives. Because God, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're on this earth is to glorify you. So God, I thank you for this. Lord, use us this week to be people of genuine faith, to be a bold witness, to obey your word, to live righteously. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.